0: This is The Guardian.
1: It starts the same way. Can I tell you a secret? It would start off with a random girl and just say, hey hun, I'm gonna tell you some secret now. Please don't mention it to anybody. But it quickly escalates. It just spread like a wildfire. I still
0: sleep with clubs next to my bed.
1: I didn't know how far this was going to go. People seldom show their true selves online. But one man, he's taken it much further. I was terrified. Who is the cyberstalker behind these messages? He actually said to me, good luck proving it's me. And why is he sending them? Because he became more and more isolated. He just went within himself even further.
2: Do you punish someone for acting out whatever is going on in their mind that we don't understand?
1: And if I could just turn back the clock? From The Guardian, I'm Shirin Kalair, and this is Can I Tell You a Secret? A story about obsession, fear, and the lives we lead online. Search for Can I Tell You a Secret? wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe now. All episodes will be available on Friday, the 23rd of September. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
0: a triumph for Hi. humanity in
2: the name of planetary defence. Fantastic. That was the sound of NASA scientists making history this week as the Double Asteroid Redirection Test, or DART mission, hit its target, 11 million kilometres from Earth. The goal was to smash a spacecraft, travelling at 22,500 kilometres per hour, into a space rock coming the other way. The point? to test whether we could deflect an asteroid if one ever threatened to strike Earth.
1: It was spectacular and it's accomplished and we'll figure out how effective it was. That's really what we're going to learn in the next weeks to come.
2: It could also tell us more about what these bodies are made of and even the formation of the solar system. And some see it as a first step towards using them as a resource for future space missions. So, demonstrably, we have the technology to get to asteroids now. Yeah. So, what we now need to do is work out extraction techniques for resources on those asteroids. When we have that technology, we're essentially looking at expanding the global economy out beyond Earth orbit and into the asteroid belt. So, how did the team at NASA achieve this incredible feat? Did it work? And is it the best way to protect our planet from a giant, killer asteroid? I'm Ian Sample, The Guardian's science editor, and this is Science Weekly. Colin Snodgrass, you're a professor of planetary astronomy at the University of Edinburgh and you're involved in the DART mission that came to fruition this week. Many of us will have seen the images from NASA of DART's target asteroid getting closer and closer. How did you feel when you saw the moment of impact?
0: Well, it was very exciting. We've been working on this for years, building to this uh, this moment. And to be able to see the images live as the asteroid got closer and closer was something that's really kind of special because this is most of the time with these missions you only have you know occasional images or you you know you're piecing together what's happening from data you've taken with a telescope so this sort of live feed of getting closer and closer all the way to impact was quite amazing to watch
2: and this asteroid you hit was actually one of a pair a binary system why did you go for these two
0: the idea of hitting the binary asteroid system is a very nice one because it gives you an experiment that's easier to measure the results of. You have Dimorphos, which is the smaller one, goes around Didymos every about 12 hours. And so if you change that orbital period by a few minutes or something, then you can measure that effect over a matter of days and weeks. Whereas if you just pick some random asteroid in space, say it's got an orbit around the sun of, you know, two or three years, then if you've moved it by a very small amount, then it's going to take many years of careful observation before you can see how the orbit's changed.
2: Give us a sense of how difficult it is to do this. I mean, this is a small probe hitting a small target, what, 11 million kilometres away?
0: 11 million kilometres away and going so fast that, you know, If it had missed, it would have gone past the entire asteroid in a fraction of a second. So the precision to actually hit a target, you know, 160 meters approximately across when you're traveling at at those kind of speeds is quite phenomenal. And then also the fact that there's two bodies in the system and you're trying to hit the smaller and fainter one. So the system has to be able to kind of home in on the brighter one recognize the fainter one once it can see it and then choose to hit the fainter one of the two.
2: And it looks like you got a direct hit. What happens now? I mean, did you get any data? Do you have any data already from that impact? Give us a sense of what the work we'll be doing now in the sort of coming weeks and months.
0: So we know that it worked and it hit from the spacecraft images. And then at the same time as we were watching these live, we were already seeing from reports from observers around the world with telescopes that the asteroid got brighter and there was this cloud of debris. There are still continuing observations that are going on as I speak following the evolution of this debris cloud. And it's only really once the debris is cleared a little that we can then also see the effect on Dimorphos itself and make the real measurements that the mission is meant to make on the changing of the orbital period.
2: A lot of work obviously went into this mission, and we're going to be really glad for that if a big asteroid is ever found to be heading our way. But I'm wondering how likely it is that a sort of killer space rock is going to hit Earth any time soon. I mean, the last big one was a good while ago, yeah.
0: Yeah, we're not too concerned about the very big one. So the one that wiped out the dinosaurs was something like 10 kilometres in diameter. So the really kind of you know extinction level event ones we know where they are and they're not coming anywhere near us anytime in the near future, but the ones that were a slightly more of concern are the ones kind of of the same sort of scale of dimorphos in the kind of hundred meter range, because these are the ones that we're discovering all the time, and that's the sort of size that it is not going to wipe out all life on Earth, but it certainly would cause devastation at a kind of local scale asteroids of that size are expected to hit the Earth every, you know, 10,000 years or so. It's unlikely one's going to show up anytime in the next few years. But on the timescale that we might want to do something about it, it could be any time.
2: So there's clearly a good reason to start planning for that possibility, and maybe even an eventuality. But th- this kind of DART approach at asteroid deflection, it's not the only one being considered. There's plenty more with all kinds of crazy names like gravity tractors, solar cells, proton, laser beams, B spacecrafts. I mean, let's start with that first one I mentioned, gravity tractors. How do they work?
0: So the gravity tractor is one of the other kind of more mainstream ideas, shall we say, of of how to move an asteroid. This is one that might be more appropriate with, say, a slightly larger asteroid if you had a lot longer to do something about it. Because the idea of a gravity tractor is that gravity as a force acts on all things with mass. And so this means that any spacecraft you have will be pulled towards an asteroid. But these forces are equal and opposite. and We know this from Newton. So if your asteroid is pulling a spacecraft towards it, the spacecraft is also pulling the asteroids slightly towards it. And so you take a, a massive spacecraft, you go near to the asteroid that you want to deflect. And then you just very, very slowly move the, the spacecraft away from the asteroid and kind of tow it with gravity.
2: And are there other approaches that you like the look of that to you seem pretty plausible?
0: One which is a really fun idea, which is there's an effect that can change the orbit of asteroids slowly over time, a natural effect called the Yarkovsky effect, which is just due to sunlight, impacting on the asteroid and being re-radiated and there's an idea that if you painted one side of your asteroid white and, and and left the other side really dark then you change the effect of this by having one side of your asteroid absorb light better than the other side and then let the sun accelerate it away in a different way than where it was going already
2: so instead of hitting it with dart, you just hit it with like a massive paintball and just sort of splodge it with white, and then hope that the rear, the rear side of it remains unpainted.
0: Yes, exactly. You know, go and land some astronauts with a lot of paintbrushes and uh, and take a lot of time over it. But uh, yes, it's a it's a fun idea that one.
2: And you've managed to pull this off with that. You've managed to smash a spacecraft into an asteroid to see if we can deflect it. But I'm wondering, is there more we want to learn about the asteroids themselves in general from these kinds of missions?
0: Certainly. So, I mean, you know, the reason why scientists like me are really interested in this mission is more about learning about the the actual properties of asteroids because they tell us about how our solar system was formed in the first place. One of the things that we'll learn a lot more about from this mission is kind of the interior structure of an asteroid. With the telescopes, we can study their surfaces, we can study their orbits, but their interior properties are something that is, you know, critical to understanding them and really will be critical to understanding the effect of the dark mission. So now that we've done the experiment, the modelers will be able to kind of work backwards from, OK, this is what we saw. This is how much the orbit changed. This is what the plume looked like and really constrain what the interior must be to cause those effects.
2: And just to wrap up, Colin, I mean, this is obviously really familiar territory for Hollywood. We've had Armageddon, Deep Impact, most recently Don't Look Up, which I know was a metaphor for climate change, but it involved a tech firm that wanted to mine asteroids. I mean, On that last bit, do you think there's a possibility we will be able to mine these kinds of objects in the future or does that to you just seem a non-starter?
0: No, I think it's something that has been quite actively discussed over the years. I mean, I've been at some interesting meetings that brought together Scientists like me that study these things with telescopes and spacecraft engineers and and venture capitalists, and, you know, and saying to them, hey, you know, the first person who manages to mine an asteroid will be, you know, the first trillionaire. And that's, you know, then the venture capitalists in the room kind of listen to that and go, well, that's very exciting. The really interesting thing is that most people imagine, that you know, when you say, oh, we're going to mine this asteroid, that it's it's full of, you know, gold or some rare earth minerals or, you know, titanium or something like this. And it's actually not anything like that, it's water. Because the idea is that if you've got bases on the moon, if you've got, you know, a community of people operating in space, what you really need is you need oxygen for astronauts to breathe and you need rocket fuel, which is tends to be hydrogen and an oxygen. But, you know, there's a lot of technical challenges, obviously, with mining an asteroid. But the question really is, can you find something that's worth more than the billions it would cost?
2: Colin, look, huge congratulations on the mission. Thanks for coming on and explaining it to us. Brilliant to have you on. And uh, good luck with the analysis. So we'll be looking to see what comes out of it.
0: Thanks very much. Yeah, we're looking forward to it.
2: Thanks again to Professor Colin Snodgrass. You can find all our reporting on the DART mission at theguardian.com. Now, if you're thinking, what should I listen to next? I would really recommend the Guardian's new podcast series, Can I Tell You a Secret?, it's about a cyberstalker who wreaked havoc online and why he did it. Search for Can I Tell You a Secret wherever you get your podcasts. And that's it for today. The producers were Jackie Wakefield and Madeline Finlay. The sound design was by Tony Onuchuku. And the executive producer was Max Sanderson. We'll be back on Tuesday. See you then.
0: This is The Guardian.
1: Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week, he has a candid conversation with guests, including prime ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith
0: wherever you get your podcasts.